This is The Global Gambit. Life inherently consists of gambits. Be it individuals or countries, the ability to outmaneuver, navigate, strategize, or fate to get ahead is crucial and inevitable. In the Global Gambit podcast, we focus on the big picture of geopolitics, foreign policy, and current affairs, seeking to make sense of the news, go beyond what's presented to us, and question and critically analyze these matters. Do not forget to engage with us on social media. Thank you very much for listening, and on to the show. This is The Global Gambit. Greetings, uh, internet, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, if you're listening, welcome back to the podcast. And if you're on YouTube, welcome back um, as well. Uh, it's your boy, it's Piotr, and we are here talking about predominantly the continent of Africa. Now, as I am recording this, it's hard to really, I think, keep up with the events. Uh, there are so many things unpacking, uh, and my guest and I today are actually talking about uh you know, sort of post-event perspective about the events over Wagner and the sort of 24 hours on how that was unfolding. Uh, and then Niger suddenly underwent a coup. And considering what we've seen in the past couple of years with other countries in the Sahel, namely Mali, Burkina Faso, but also further eastwards to Sudan uh, and other countries generally experiencing quite a lot of coups around the world, including, say, Myanmar, uh, we felt that it was appropriate to uh, touch upon the developments as best we can, considering how, as I say, quickly they're unfolding um, and what we could potentially see happening in the Sahel um, with the ECOWAS, the regional organization there, um, France, the, even the US, uh, and a country that we will be touching upon later, later on in this conversation, more particularly Russia. Um, but joining me to talk about some of these topics and particularly why you should care about them later on is uh, Vanda Philab-Brown. Now, I'm knowing I probably didn't say her first-barreled surname correctly, but she is the Senior Fellow at the Strobe Tabot Center for Security Strategy and Technology in the Foreign Policy Program at Brookings Institute. Now, some of you eagle-eyed listeners and viewers will remember that we did have Tara Varma, another member of Brookings Institute, to talk about France and French foreign policy more broadly. But now we want to talk about sort of the remnants of French foreign policy, uh, colonialism, and so on in the Sahel and uh Vanda has kindly agreed to join us. So, Vanda, um, welcome to the Global Gambit. Uh, I think the first question I have for you is, what is going on in Niger? Um, for some of our lesser informed viewers, could you give us a an overview of of, of what's happened in the past week, several days, and uh, and 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 why this is so significant? Well, at the end of July, um, Niger. Um experience an internal uh, coup d'etat, which, as you mentioned, Piotr, uh, is uh, in fact the seventh coup in West Africa over the past three years. And in the coup d'etat that uh, was organized by the presidential guard, uh, the um, elected um, president was um, arrested and is still kept um, um, under arrest. Um, uh, And uh, the junta declared uh, itself to be in power or at least the presidential guard declared itself to be in power and um, announced that the constitutional order was suspended. Now, in the immediate post-coup hours, there was a question whether the rest of the Nigerian military will uh, join the presidential guard, whether they will throw their uh, way um, behind the constitutional order, the elections, and oppose the coup or close ranks around the Kuchist. 
And unfortunately, we have seen the latter. Uh, Niger is a very important country in West Africa, and it's very significant because even though it is a very poor country, one of the poorest in the world, where 40% of the external budget is dependent on foreign aid from countries such as United States, um, France, uh, and various European, uh, European Union countries, it is the base uh, of uh, uh, Western um, counterterrorism efforts in the Sahel. And Niger became the sort of last bastion of those counterterrorism efforts as uh, other uh, uh, coup d'etats have taken place in some of the places you mentioned, in Mali, in Burkina Faso, and the um, military authoritarian governments uh, were um, not able to maintain uh, relations with the West. The West sanctions uh, those governments and the governments the juntas did not want uh, the Western uh, military uh, presence to stay. Now, this matters. Niger is not an irrelevant small country somewhere. Uh, it matters because across the Sahel, we are seeing some of the most potent uh, terrorist activity currently anywhere in the world, with a swirl of terrorist groups, some of which are aligned with al-Qaeda, others which are aligned with the Islamic State, but where insecurity is uh, the terrorist insecurity, jihadi uh, insecurity is the greatest ever uh, and certainly greatest uh, in the past two decades and where the spaces are shrinking. So Niger was the last bastion in the Sahel for uh, counterterrorism military presence for the United States that has over 1,000 soldiers and a very big, large base that it built. Um, uh, for flying drones, gathering intelligence, being able to conduct operations. Uh, it also has uh, about 1,500 French troops, as well as troops from um, uh, other European countries, such as Italy and Germany. But Niger matters for other reasons as well, um, including because uh, it was a country uh, where um, the West was able to promote good governance and resist uh, Russia's uh, systematic anti-Western push uh, against um, the West in Africa uh, and where um, uh, actors like the Wagner Group uh, have been uh, uh, part of uh, the anti-Western thrust. And finally, Niger matters for a whole set of other reasons. Uh, one of which is that it uh, is the seventh largest producer of uranium uh, in the world, including uh, uranium that heads to Europe, Western Europe and European Union specifically, and has been a part of the strategy of um, the European Union to wean itself uh, of uh, dependence on Russian energy. So very many, very important stakes in Niger, and yet now a military junta takes power. Um, Moreover, and I'll just uh, add here one important dimension, after the junta uh, took power, um, the Nigerian um, ECOWAS, the um, regional uh, body, uh, they, uh, announced that it would depose the junta uh, with the use of military force unless it gave up power and returned the arrested president, uh, Mohamed Bazoum, uh, to office, release him and reinstituted him. The deadline was yesterday. Uh, we have uh, 
not seeing this development. Um, the junta became just more entrenched and in, in blatantly refused um, to do that. It suspended relations with um, France, um, uh, with other countries in the region, um, moved into much more explicitly anti-Western mode. And um, the, the question now is whether the forces of ECOWAS and specifically of Nigeria, Benin, and um, Senegal will, in fact, invade Niger uh, and depose the government, depose the junta. So thank you for that. Um, I mean, remarkable job at, frankly, synthesizing so many different uh, pieces of this jigsaw. One of the things that I also want to emphasize to others, as you say, a couple of points actually, is that Nigeria, it, because of its geoloca- geographical location specifically, it's just strategically hugely convenient uh, for, as you said, the US and others to be based, to have, I don't know, activities or you know to have a, a role in influencing the events of other countries that border it. I think Nigeria borders, what, seven states? Um, but one of the things I did want to unpack a little bit more specifically about this coup in particular is because this was the first democratic, successful democratic election in the country's history. Uh, it is one of the poorest countries in, in the world. But f- from what I understood reading a few articles, 56% voted in favor of the ousted president in 2021, um, yet we've seen social media videos and um, material illustrating that there is quite a strong apparent, at least it's hard to verify, you know, whether these are taken out of context or, 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 or exaggerated, um, support for Russia and support for anti-democratic or just anti-Western uh, entities, right, because of the, col- uh, the legacy of colonialism. Do you have a sense um, or do we have a general sense of what the sentiments are? towards one side of this, you know, if th- these developments versus another, you know, one's more pro-Russia, pro-autocrat or whatever, one's or just anti-Western versus other members who are more pro-Western? So absolutely, the uh, elections of uh, Mohamed Bazoum, uh, who was uh, the um, foreign minister and then interior minister in the civilian government of the previous president, Sufu, uh, was widely seen as um, credible and democratic. Uh, it was not an overwhelming landslide, but I think that spoke to, in fact, the credibility of the elections. And it was indeed the first uh, peaceful democratic uh, transfer of power in the country. And consequently and subsequently, the uh, Western countries, United States, France, but also European Union countries, really invested heavily into uh, Bazoum who as president proved himself um, adopting a whole set of very positive policies uh, on the economic front, on focusing on women's growth education, for example, and economic opportunity, as well as on the security front. One of the justification of the junta has been that uh, they um, deposed him because he um, was not paying attention to the terrorism and security problems. That is, in fact, a fallacious claim. Now, how much uh, uh, legitimacy um, uh, you know, Bazoum has had, um, I mean, there is obviously all this lag in time between adopting better policy and uh, the needs of the people radically um, being met. So between uh, one's lives uh, improving and the policy adoption, even if it is good policy adoption, there is a space of time. 
some people certainly um, saw some improvements in their life during the two years that Bazoom has been in um, uh, power. Others haven't. But I think that we need to be very careful in how we are interpreting the um, pro-Russia, anti-Bazoom, pro-Junta protest. So first of all, um, there is a long history on Niger of allowing only certain demonstrations to take place and cracking down against uh, opposite demonstrations. That was, in fact, a big problem during the uh, presidency of the previous president, Isufu, where uh, a very violent crackdown frequently took place uh, against protesters. And those memories are there. So if you oppose the junta, uh, you will be very scared to go demonstrate against the junta and for Bazoom because of the risks of being killed, arrested, um, brutalized, um, punished. So right now, the only demonstrations that can take place are the ones that support the junta, um, oppose the West, because the West has become associated with Bazoom, but more importantly, because the uh, West has come out explicitly condemning the coup and condemning the junta. France suspended military operations, suspended uh, vast economic aid, so did the European Union, the United States. States um, uh, also suspended um, uh, economic aid. And the latest words that we have been hearing over the weekend and this morning is that the junta um, cut off relations with the United States, although what the content of that statement um, is, is, is not yet clear. Moreover, the fact that um, the regional body, ECOWAS, threatened to invade Niger has allowed uh, the um, uh, junta to manipulate protests into being both pro-junta and against intervention, right? If there is a prospect of foreign armies invading a country, nationalism is easy to whip up. A nationalism that intersects with long-standing grievances, with long-standing poverty, economic marginalization, um, uh, uh, political uh, access to political power or political expression, that had for decades been limited or not existent, and even during the Isufu presidency years, um, still repressed. Now, um, there is also a dynamic that I think it's worth mentioning with what does this mean that there is support for Russia? As the coup has been playing out over the past 10 years, uh, sorry, over the past 10 days, Rather, uh, we have seen the pro-Russian dimension intensifying. And this is not really because people are more pro-Russia than they were 10 days ago, but because the junta has calculated that it will not be able to make an accommodation with the West. So in the first two or three days after the coup, you did not really see much of a Russia flag waving and kind of pro-Russian statements, even though the Russian government and uh, the Wagner Group, um, as well as other Russia proxies, um, have been running disinformation uh, messages in the country for several years, agitating against Bazoum, agitating against the West. But it was at the moment when the junta realized uh, that it won't be able to have accommodation with the West. When the sanctions started coming, coming down, when Nigeria cut off electricity, ECOWAS suspended border, when the junta made the calculation, our only available 
uh, international partners, interlocutors are Russia. And so the Russian um, demonstrations went up. And finally, a, a last comment here on the public sentiment. In much of West Africa, France has for a whole set of complex reasons, um, some problematic behavior and mistakes, other manipulation, um, uh, such as this information campaign by Russia, became really toxic. Uh, now, in, in, in Niger, France has tried to learn uh, from the problems, challenges, and mistakes it has experiences and made in other parts of the region. For example, it was less um, at the forefront um, of some of the visible security decisions and policies. Uh, but nonetheless, across West Africa, there is a very strong anti-France sentiment that has also once again been whipped up in the Niger country. But does but anti-France doesn't necessarily transcend into anti-democratic. It's just simply because of the what um, financial community of Africa, or, or you know the franc CFA for people who are not familiar. It's basically the uh, common currency that France has tried to what you know encourage countries to utilize in the post uh, what Second World War sort of decolonization era. Um, but uh, you know, so I'm just curious, what, 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 if you have any thoughts on that. But also, you know, you talk about the economic prosperity and potential of Niger. I mean, I was looking at some just, uh, recordings, um, some statistics rather earlier in the afternoon, and Niger for this year or in the past year at least had the third or fourth highest growth, like six percent or something. I saw this on on Twitter and a, and a couple of other areas. So I don't know if you can speak to that at all, but sort of. Clearly, Niger has been doing something well, considering the post-COVID period, and 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 generally, why why this coup? Why not Mali or Burkina Faso? Have we seen such a staunch response from not even the Western entities, but the local community, i.e., ECOWAS itself? You know, why why is it reached to this point? Just because it's the seventh coup and people have had enough? Yeah, so you know, multiple questions. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I have a habit. My my viewers <laughs> and listeners will be aware that I, I say, oh, one quick question, and then I string together about twenty. So, right. um, uh, but, if you want uh, me to repeat them, I can. <laughs> let me start with the last one. You know, why such a strong reaction from ECOWAS, uh, which uh, has really been very strong? So, multiple factors uh, come together. Um, first of all, just recently. Uh, Nigeria, which uh, had its own elections in March and um, has had 20 years of elections and democratic rule following decades of military dictatorships, took uh, presidency uh, of ECOWAS. And uh, uh, Nigeria's new president, um, uh, very early in taking over the ECOWAS presidency, uh, committed himself very strongly to focus on coups sweeping the region as um, one of the key priorities and made kind of very fiery committed speeches, uh, the era of tolerating um, coup d'etats uh, in the uh, East Africa region, uh, in the West Africa region, rather, uh, is over. This is uh, President Tinubu. This is called, this is Bolatinubu. Right, so this, exactly, this is Bolatinubu, the, the new president of Nigeria. So, you know, uh, Tinubu uh, is on record making this very strong statement, we won't tolerate coups, and within weeks of his making those statements, taking over the presidency, there is a coup. Uh, the second reason is the one you articulated, Piotr, right? Uh, this is now the seventh coup um, in the region in um, 
in three years. And there is very much a fear that uh, this has now become a domino scenario, that there are uh, many weaknesses that make um, various other countries in Africa, in the region, highly susceptible. And then it was important to try to halt and reverse uh, that dynamic, to stop the contagion, to to stop the precedent and, and have a new precedent, which is that the region, or at least subset of the region, uh, is not going to tolerate um, the coup. And, and I think this is also overlapped and reinforced uh, with the role of the West, uh, for whom Niger um, has been very important. I mean, after uh, French troops and Western troops had to leave Mali, um, after the sort of regional geography has been shifting, Sudan exploded uh, to civil war uh, in April of this year. Um, Burkina Faso uh, has invited um, the greater presence of, of Russia. There is not yet confirmation of the Wagner Group, but nonetheless, had also had a, a coup that significantly lessened relations with the West and strengthened relations with Russia. And all of that created a sense there is no more place in the Sahel to fall back onto. We just cannot keep packing up uh, and moving to another place. It's important to stand firm. Now, you know, unfortunately, we might find ourselves in a situation where um, ECOWAS essentially overplayed its hand. A very strong, blustery talk early on about the military intervention, the deadline that was given to uh, Niger, to the junta, to end the military dictatorship and restore Bazoum expired yesterday. And yet uh, ECOWAS is really not quite uh, positioned uh, to deliver on its threat and invade the country. It was always going to be uh, a complicated proposition um, that, was, that had a high chance of not going easily, like ECOWAS's military intervention to support democracy um, in uh, Gambia in 2017 but became even more complicated on Friday and Saturday when the Nigerian government, uh, when the Nigerian Senate uh, rejected the request of President uh, Tinubu to uh, be allowed to send Nigerian forces into Niger. So there is a big threat. The Junta uh, has called the bluff uh, and ECOWAS is uh, really not quite ready to move. Okay, so then focusing on ECOWAS more specifically then, from what I understand, of the countries that have expressed a willingness to potentially supply troops or be involved in some degree, uh, I think that number amounts to 250,000, 200,000 plus versus the junta, which amounts to 50,000, 60,000. What generally... Are the options for ECOWAS uh, in this context? Could we see a full-scale ground invasion? Could there be a sort of slim-down special forces kind of thing? Could there just be a I don't know, renewed set of sanctions or economic uh, warfare? Nothing? Just continued delaying of the ultimatum? Um, and, and what of the propensity for foreign entities like the French to get involved? Because some people have said, oh, well, maybe they will do so. Um, wh wh what do you think of potential scenarios in this in this case? 
Well, so we have been, uh, you know, I have been using ECOWAS as the entity that has um, threatened to invade and um, throw out the junta. Uh, and of course, this is the official label, but under the uh, economic community of the West African countries that constitute ECOWAS, of which there are 15, it was only four countries that said they would contribute um, to the military intervention. Nigeria, which has the biggest uh, standing military force uh, in uh, West Africa and one of the largest in Africa periods. Senegal, uh, which has a much smaller force, but fairly hefty. Uh, Togo and Benin, both of which, um, uh, actually, sorry, Togo has, has not um, uh, has not committed forces. Uh, Benin and Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, so, with, so uh, Nigeria, Senegal, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, and Benin are the four countries within ECOWA that have um, promised the contributing to the military intervention. Uh, on the other side, uh, the Niger Junta has been able to line up support from uh, Burkina Faso and Mali, um, as well as uh, uh, Guinea with Burkina Faso and Mali specifically saying uh, that they consider a declaration of uh, war on Niger, a declaration of war on themselves. So any kind of military intervention against the Nigerian junta, they said, constitutes a war on them. Wow, okay. Now, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> follow, however, that despite those words, they would, in fact, contribute military force. Uh, after all, both Burkina uh, and... Um, Mali are facing enormous security challenges. Despite the presence of the Wagner Group, uh, the security situation in both countries has deteriorated very significantly over the past two years. The various jihadi militant groups have come much closer to the capitals of both countries. So, you know, whether they would uh, deliver on their promise of support for the junta with some sort of military force remains to be seen. But okay. it's too simplistic and not realistic to suggest that since uh, Niger, uh, since Nigeria um, military is somewhere between 135,000 and 220,000 active soldiers, that Nigeria could throw that force against Niger. And it would absolutely not happen. Um, for one thing, um, out of all your active force, uh, not every soldier ever fights. Uh, we have uh, reserves back up, uh, people on uh, rotations on R&R. &R. Mm -hmm. On top of that, uh, the Nigerian military is deployed in 32 out of the country's 34 states for internal security purposes. Oh, wow. Okay. What, the because security of Haram? situation in Nigeria... Is that to do with Boko been, Haram uh, or um, uh, the climate crisis? Because I'm aware that there's quite a large uh, climatic issue in um, in Nigeria. Is is that partly... Well, so across the region, climate is uh, worsening conditions for people. It's depleting access to water, food, resources, uh, limiting access to employment opportunities all of which are um, breeding grounds for militancies or exploitable mm. by militancy. But Nigeria's security problems, while augmented and amplified by global warming, 
uh, and the climate challenge are really much more multifaceted and stem from much greater set of forces. Um, that you have um, jihadi, uh, Boko Haram, and Islamic State West Africa province, a potent insurgency in the north of the country. You have uh, various militia, bandit groups. You have ethnic mobilizations in the south, including in uh, uh, Igbo places uh, in both southwest and particularly southeast parts of the country. Um, Harkening back to uh, Bayefra and uh, all kinds of ethnic secessionism going back decades, you have um, significant banditry and highly violent criminality across the country, ethnic tensions between Muslim and Christian populations uh, in the Middle Belt, but also in the North and South. So, wide panoply of very complex security um, uh, issues. And the Nigerian uh, government has been able to quell and stem those through regular policing, mm -hmm. but even when the military has been deployed, it's been stagnant. It's really not been able to leave any of the states when it has been deployed and say, okay, problems fixed in um, Adanama or problems fixed in uh, Borno, problems fixed in uh, you know, pick your state. So the notion that uh, Nigeria will be able to uh, mobilize for an external intervention more than some thousands, maybe 10, 20,000 forces um, is not realistic. And you know, even if Senegal, um, Benin, and Cote d'Ivoire each contribute some thousands of troops, uh, the military intervention could still very easily be um, essentially a one-on-one -on -one force posture with uh, the forces that Niger can uh, mobilize, especially mm. if Niger continues being able to maintain the image. This is essentially about sovereignty of this country, about resisting uh, an invasion, as the junta has been manipulating um, uh, the image for. It, it's it's certainly not a, just a case of numbers, is it? It's always about the logistics. It's about the... Um motivations behind them and, and also the political military relationship, I think. So one of the other questions that I, I want to bring in is that unlike the horn, I was thinking about this yesterday because the horn is where I've done more of my sort of Africa focused work. And, you know, in that case, you've got quite a lot of exogenous factors in, at play here in the sense of external influences. Um, the, Gulf states or the UAE specifically, Turkey, um, the, UE, the EU to an extent, um, Russia to an extent. In the West, because uh, France has largely been the predominant actor, you know, with its military activities in the past 10 years to fight off, you know, jihadist uh, uh, presence. But now that they pulled out and America's not getting involved and there isn't another large entity there seems to be more of a power vacuum relative to, say, the Horn of Africa. So I'd be curious for your thoughts on 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 that. And is that why we're seeing so much more um, emboldened efforts to to undertake coups in the Sahel? Uh, but two, um, this is why I want to start bringing in Russia, obviously. Could we really see Russia be able to, from such a distance, have such an extended influence in the region longer term? 
because it's it, it, it boggles my mind that you've got countries like Chad or Is It Car, which has a statue, I think, or something built in uh, commemoration of the Wagner Group. I, I read something like that as well. So I'm just very curious for your for your thoughts on 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 that. So I would not say that there is a vacuum in Africa into which Russia is moving. In fact, Russia's policy um, has been very specifically across Africa um, and unfortunately effectively in West Africa to challenge and try to push out um, Western presence. Uh, but part of that has to do with the way France is toxic in West Africa, mm-hmm. but it's really much more multifaceted um, play that's, that's going on. But Russia's policy across Africa over the past 15 years, 10 years, has been very explicitly to try to counter, um, challenge, frustrate, uh, irritate, and hurt uh, the West, irrespective of the issue. Even when the issue is counter-terrorism, where one would think that Russia would also have an uh, interest in um, limiting uh, terrorism, limiting its impact on local civilians, uh, as well as any international dimensions, repercussions, flows of terrorists, Europe, Russia. Russia has, in fact, taken a position to just frustrate the respective issue. That effort is not uh, radically different than what it is trying to do in the Great Lakes region or in South Africa or Zimbabwe, but it has found a very fertile ground in um, the West. And that fertile ground has been supplemented by the fact that uh, the Wagner Group has uh, been able to deploy and uh, invited by uh, various West African countries. Now, you know, buyer beware, uh, the services that the Wagner Group delivers uh, are powers that means the eye. It's counterterrorism effectiveness has actually been dismal. And in fact, it's counterterrorism um, approaches, which are a classic Russia counterinsurgency, just brutalize the population. It's the same scorched or policy that uh, the Soviet Union adopted in uh, Afghanistan. Um, Che- over well, the, the Chechen wars. Both of the Chechnya wars, exactly, uh, in Syria. Uh, the, the Wagner forces are replicating that same approach, and it's backfiring. I mentioned how uh, the potency geographic spread of jihadi terrorist groups in both uh, Burkina and Mali have grown. Uh, even in places that have statues for Wagner, like the um, Central African Republic, uh, Wagner very frequently ends up just um, uh, protecting economic interests, gold mines, diamond mines, uh, where it has a large stake, where the overall security uh, picture is at best um, stalled and worse deteriorating. And Wagner often uh, just uh, empowers militias, uh, or supports militias to be fighting on what Wagner has supposedly signed up for. But Wagner has a very important selling card. And that selling card is that whatever official guise or label of counterterrorism it comes in, it offers itself as a Praetorian guard to keep in power the government that buys it, whether that government has been elected or a junta. And now we are seeing this dynamic playing out again in Niger. But the big question, the dark horse now is whether Wagner will um, 
showing uh, the situation in Niger and deploy forces there. Before, uh, as the coup was just, just in place, because it was happening when Russia was hosting a big uh, summit between uh, Russia and Africa in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And stunningly, Prigozhin was there, and despite the fact that he has conducted an insurrection, a rebellion against Putin and uh, the Kremlin and top uh, uh, Russian military leaders, he was at the, uh, at the summit, posing with various uh, African leaders, such as uh, from uh, Central African Republic, and was both posting at the time that the, the junta, the coup, was anti-colonialism, that, that uh, is ready to send in uh, 1,000 white forces to stabilize the situation and defeat uh, the jihadists. It's not going to be able to defeat the jihadists, but uh, apparently uh, last Thursday and Friday, the junta did in fact officially request this uh, presence. And so what we are waiting to see is whether Wagner forces will uh, start arriving uh, in Niger. That's not so easy. It's uh, the Wagner group cannot just overnight generate a fighting force of even 1,000 men. Uh, would Mali or the Central African Republic agree to redeploy some of the Wagner forces there in uh, Niger? What obvious uh, something to watch. But also this is... Um, qualitatively, diplomatically, and optically different than Wagner's other um, deployments. Here, the Wagner forces would risk fighting against other African governments. And the optics of that are much more fraught and difficult for Moscow than Wagner only fighting uh, the jihadists, or Wagner only repressing and killing uh, political opponents and democratic protesters. So the, the political repercussions, the, the diplomatic repercussions for Russia are very different if Wagner starts fighting the forces of Nigeria or Senegal than what Wagner has done elsewhere. So it's very possible that Moscow will actually not allow Wagner to go in to accept the offer uh, or to accept the request uh, that General Chiani, the head of the junta, um, uh, has made. Uh, whatever uh, Prigozhin um, has been um, boasting. And then I know there is the other dimension uh, of the French and US and German and Italian forces, all of which are still in uh, Niger. Uh, They are at their bases. They have suspended uh, relations training uh, missions uh, with the Nigerian military, but they haven't departed the country. And certainly, uh, moving out of base uh, uh, is a very complex proposition, and the United States and France will not want to. Well, you saw what uh, happened with that in Afghanistan. You saw that with Afghanistan. And so, you know, if we come to a military intervention by ECOWAS, not necessarily today, not necessarily tomorrow, but even some weeks or months down the road, and the Western forces are still there, will there be pressure on them to support the ECOWAS forces? at minimum with intelligence, but perhaps ammunition, uh, air force, uh, air power, uh, uh, other kind of support. And would the West at all be willing to get so uh, pulled into an intra-African, uh, an inter-African war? So that leads me to my last probably question on this, which is, 
One of the biggest elements around the war in Ukraine has been information and the ability to control the narrative. Now, within Russia, obviously, Russia has, well, the Kremlin has had that. But internationally, at least in many influential media outlets, Ukraine has. Um, but in this case, we've got a lot of people suddenly who are pretending to be African experts, people who are pretending to give a, well, to care about Africa, Niger. Uh, for the sake of building social media clout engagement. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are unfortunately on the other side in the sense of pro the coup, pro the, the hunters, and deliberately spreading disinformation for the sake of whatever reasons. Um, how do we combat that? Uh, what what role do you see uh, information warfare having in this longer term? Because... Social media is such a haven for, you know, even even minor tweaks in 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 the facts. You know, you, you sort of you change a date here and there. Yet, let alone actually making out. You know, there's a big major. Like I've seen, for example, I've, I've seen footage of people freaking out about certain jets taking off or military personnel doing exercise in certain places. And then there's been actual people who've come and commented underneath saying, "Yeah, this is a video from." three years ago this is a video from a completely different region of africa um so it's all about building this this uh, hysteria online um i'd love to hear your 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 takes on that before we probably wrap up for this episode both active disinformation disinformation campaigns and poor media literacy have been uh, a big issue in africa and it's not unique to africa we are all struggling with that um in Europe in the United States, where social media, um, private TV channels, so private uh, communications platforms, uh, um, uh, of disinformation and perhaps even worse, violent action. In Africa, the, situ the situation, the picture is further complicated by the fact that uh, many people uh, have not had um, access to free and open media. Even before a uh, virtual online platform, communication being shared through cell phones, uh, freedom of press has often been muzzled. Um, official newspapers will often put out um, government propaganda and um, um, support um, authoritarian uh, messages, or even when they were not mm. supporting particular government line, they would often be beholden uh, to politicians or businessmen. So it might be that you have multiple uh, newspapers in an African country, but each was essentially promoting the view and ambitions of the business slash businessmen, business owners slash politicians behind the media platform. So the, the lack of um, free and credible reporting and people access uh, to that reporting is a longstanding problem that's now um, really compounded. Uh, by disinformation um, and Russia's very aggressive, very determined and uh, often highly effective disinformation campaign. As I mentioned, mm. in Niger uh, too, Russia has been running disinformation campaigns um, uh, for several years, a few years ago, uh, attempting to fan, uh, uh, failed to attempt. Clearly, this investing both in uh, literacy, uh, uh, media literacy of people allowing them to know how to uh, uh, interpret the information they're accessing, providing mm -hmm. them ability to fact check, uh, supporting 
um, journalists, uh, media outlets that provide credible, uh, objective, uh, neutral um, uh, information. And that, that takes time. That's, that's not easy, but it's the disinformation can be unleashed to, in a matter of seconds. It's it, uh, it's one of those things that I, I mean, yeah, I, it's very difficult to, to process really uh, as someone who really likes to believe in truth and honesty, integrity, uh, people building sort of entire careers out of this thing. Uh, and I find it even more distasteful when it's to do with a continent that some of these accounts individuals have never even visited or been to. Um, I don't really care. Uh, so it's, um, I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, I guess, you know, my very, very last question, I, know I said it was my last one, but I always do that. I, I like to throw a curveball in, which is what do you feel about the, the short to medium term? Um, you know, uh, what can we expect vis-a-vis uh, -vis ECOWAS, vis-a-vis -vis Russia? Um, what do you think uh, our, my viewers and listeners should be most paying attention to uh, in the news? Uh, what should they be on the lookout for? Well, unfortunately, I believe that uh, the Niger coup is not the last coup uh, that we will see. And that um, despite the ECOWAS effort to stand up against it, or a subset of ECOWAS countries' uh, effort to stand up against it, uh, this is not going to be the decisive moment, uh, decisive victory on the side of democracy, better governance, accountability, and finish with coups. In fact, I expect that uh, uh, we will see more coups, and um, along with that, um, more and more complicated choices uh, for um, the European Union, for the United States, uh, in uh, how it responds to the coups. Is the values uh, and the democracy promotion, human rights, civil liberties, line and thinking in foreign policy going to dominate, or is it going to be um, subordinated to the hard security interest, especially as um, there are fewer places in which these hard um, and real uh, security objectives can be um, uh, prosecuted. So, you know, it was costly to lose Mali. Uh, it was costlier to lose Mali and Burkina Faso. It's very, very costly now to uh, lose Niger and lose the military access, the intelligence gathering, um, uh, uh, drone action access, military um, training uh, capacities that came from being in Niger. And this is just kind of part and parcel of these dilemmas that will play, be playing out elsewhere. Uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo will have elections uh, later on this year. There is a very substantial chance that um, a coup d'etat could take place, substantial uh, or at least coup d'etat attempt to take place. Substantial segments of the military are not happy with the current government. There is a lot of crumbling um, uh, against the current government, the political civilian, uh, political side, the highly fraud. We could go to other places, other countries. So we are at the moment where the core values and core uh, stream or core um, ideology aspect of uh, foreign policy of the West is being challenged. And the tension that democracy, good governance, human rights, civil liberties, very frequently 
uh, with, in terms of security objectives, counterterrorism objectives has just become harder and more pitched. Well, on that note, uh, it's been a pleasure, Vanda. Thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, if you've been listening on the podcast, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. Share it with some friends. Give it a give it a thumbs up. Uh, if you're on YouTube, give it a thumbs up as well. I still need to do better at asking you to subscribe or uh, uh, to support the show. Um, and I look forward to uh, to seeing what you guys think of this episode. Hopefully, Vanda, we don't have you back soon because all of this suddenly just dissipates and and and, and you know we get a democratically elected government back. Um, unfortunately, I do think we may well be doing just that. Uh, if you if you will be so kind to join us again soon, but. Um, Take care, everybody. I look forward to it, and I'm delighted to talk about eco-gardening. <laughs> criminal groups and militants. Well, there you are. Okay, there you are, guys. We'll have a more thematic, broad conversation uh, with Vanda in, in a coming episode. But uh, that's it from me, everyone. You were listening to The Global Gambit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and leave us a review. We would especially appreciate it if you left a comment on why you valued this episode and what you took away from it. Want to support us further? Do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the global gambit. Lastly, don't be shy. We actively invite you to follow and engage with us on social media at the global gambit. But until next time, this is the global gambit.